Now I invite you to please pray with me. Lord God, take my words this morning and speak through them. Take our hearts this morning and speak to them. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Bring conviction to our hearts through your word and initiate healing and transformation in our lives, all for the glory of your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. There are going to be three points to my sermon this morning. The imagery of Isaiah, the fulfillment of Jesus, and the challenge from James. We're going to take a tour of our readings. Now, I had the privilege of traveling to Israel in 2010. One of my favorite memories was our hike through the desert to En Gedi. The name En Gedi literally means the spring of the kid. It was over 100 degrees, there was little shade, and there was nothing green to be seen. And as we hiked up the valley, everything was brown and desolate. There was no signs of life. It was clear it was a dry riverbed or creek bed. As our hike progressed, I began to notice little spots of green where plants had determined to try to grow. The further up the valley we went, the more green we saw. And soon there was a trickle of water. And as we followed up the ravine, the water became a small stream. And then things became a little greener still. A sound could be heard around the next bend, which we discovered. I just looked down and I saw Mary Riley. Mary, I think you were there. Were you on that trip? Okay. I know Sheila and Michael were there. We heard the sound around the bend and we discovered it was a deep pool being filled by a waterfall in the middle of this desert. And it was cold water, clear water. And all around the pool were lush green plants. I want you to have those two contrasting pictures in mind today. The desolate oven of a wasteland where you would die for lack of water. And then the oasis of En a pool of cold, clear water surrounded by lush, green overgrowth. And that's the imagery that Isaiah uses in our reading from chapter 35. I'd like you to open the Pew Bibles to page 595, or if you have your own Bible, turn to page... Turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Now, you've heard me say before that context is crucial to our understanding. Context is king when we look at scriptures. And at this point in the book of Isaiah, God's people are in exile in Babylon under the rule of their enemies, all because of their own sin and their abandonment of the living God. Isaiah 34 shifts Isaiah's focus To the theme of the day of the Lord, it's a repetitive theme through Isaiah. God's judgment of the nations. So in the chapter before we read, Isaiah paints a picture of a fertile land being transformed into a desert wasteland. If you look at verse 9 of chapter 34, And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur, and her land shall become burning pitch. In judgment, God will ruin the land of his enemies. Isaiah Isaiah declaring that their cities will become an inhabitable wasteland where no one could survive. Then we come to chapter 35, our reading this morning, where Isaiah shifts his attention back to God's people who were in captivity, exiled from their promised land. And here we see Isaiah paint a picture of the restoration of God. The restoration that God will work as he rescues his people from captivity and delivers them back into their land of promise. Through Isaiah, the Lord speaks hope to his people. 
Looking at verses 3 and 4, Isaiah proclaims, strengthen the weak hands, make firm or make stable the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. So who is it who saves them? God, and not just any God, but their God, Adonai, Almighty God, the God of Israel. They're living in captivity where they're not free, and God paints an amazing picture of what their redemption will look like as they move from a desert into a fertile oasis, as they will return to Zion, their promised land, Isaiah's prophesying. Verses 1 and 2. Isaiah says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be, what? Glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom how? Abundantly. And it will rejoice how? With joy and singing. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, rejoicing with joy and singing. The desert shall Rejoice and blossom abundantly like the crocus or like the rose. In a restored wasteland, the nations will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God, Isaiah proclaims, as it will blossom abundantly. Isaiah's imagery of restoration continues in the second half of verse 6. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. God saves his people. They cannot save themselves. And God will rescue his discouraged and weak people who are languishing in bondage and put them in this fertile oasis. God, their God, will save them, Isaiah declares. And their God will not only strengthen them, not sure how many of you have feeble knees, but I'm getting there. He will not only strengthen and encourage them and stabilize them, but he prophesies that God will heal them, verse 5. Then... When God comes to save his people, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah's imagery paints a compelling picture of restoration, of redemption and healing only by God's almighty hand not by any other God. And in our gospel reading from Mark, we see the embodiment of that imagery in God the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus embodies Isaiah's imagery of Savior, of Redeemer. He fulfills God's promise as the Messiah. Jesus puts his hands on the deaf and the mute man. He touches his ears He spits and then touches his tongue. He looks up to heaven, acknowledging his heavenly Father, Almighty God, 
and he declares that the man's ears and mouth, Ephata, that they would be opened, he commands. Be opened, Jesus says. And the ears of the deaf are unstopped, as Isaiah proclaimed. And the tongue of the mute sings for joy, as Isaiah said. Jesus fulfills all of God's promises of redemption and salvation. Jesus is the Redeemer, God the Son who is sent by God the Father to save his people, to save everyone who would believe in his name. Jesus is God's Redeemer, God's blessing to all nations as was promised to Abram, God's ransom for all peoples. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father as he proclaimed. Now I want to return to Isaiah 35 for a moment in, with this sense of Jesus as the way before you. Because Isaiah speaks prophetically of Jesus as God's way. We didn't read this this morning, but Isaiah 35 continues with verse 8. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. That's the English translation. I want to read you the Jewish Tanakh translation that's on the screen. A little different. And a highway shall appear there, which shall be called the sacred way. No, un, no one unclean shall pass along it, but it shall be for his people. No traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. Isaiah gives a proper name to the way of salvation, calling it the sacred way, and it's capitalized. It's proper. It's a person. You see, may see that in your ESV, where it, the way is capitalized there, but it's not capitalized where way is mentioned in other places. It shall be called the way of holiness, the sacred way. Jesus is now revealed to be that sacred way provided for his people, all who will turn to him in faith. It's not a way for the unfaithful. It's not a way for those who remain unclean. It's not a way for those who are not forgiven of their sins by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a way for those who are prideful, serving other gods, seeking to save themselves. It is a way of humility, a way of submission, receiving the gift of salvation from the Redeemer, from the way. And now we move from Isaiah's imagery. We've heard Jesus' fulfillment of Isaiah's way. And we now move to our final point, James' challenge. James is Jesus' brother, if you want to follow along, if you have your Bibles open, it's page 1011, James chapter 1. James is Jesus' brother, and he writes to the first generation of believers in Jesus. This is not long after Jesus was crucified, died, and then rose from the dead. He's writing to the very early church, and he writes to those who are following Jesus as the way, who are sharing that gospel with the world. James instructs the early church, reminding them of how they are to live if they are followers of Jesus. And James makes it clear to follow Jesus on the way. The church 
will live in a different way from the world. And in our brief passage from James' letter, beginning with verse 17, James addresses a very specific aspect of humanity. Anger. James 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Quick to what? Hear. Slow to slow to become angry. And why is that? Verse 20. For the anger of man, for people's anger, does not produce the righteousness of God. As God's people, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're called to live differently, to be as God's redeemed, to be His righteousness, His holiness, His embodiment for all the world to see. For the world to see and for the world to be attracted to Him by you. And James declares, anger does not produce God's righteousness. Be quick to hear. There you go. Quick to hear, slow to slow to anger. We're going to do that a couple more times because I want you leaving with that ringing in your ears. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James challenges the church Be doers of the word, not just hearers. Take action and do God's word. Do God's promises. Live your faith in action. Don't just hear it and contemplate it. Don't just be hearers, be doers. In verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, they will be blessed in their doing. That verse declares who it is who will be blessed by God, the one who looks into God's living word, God's perfect law, his perfect instruction, who perseveres. Isn't perfect, but perseveres. Trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, being a doer of the word and taking action. This morning, are you a follower of Jesus? Okay. Some of you may not be. If you're not, then today you stand outside of God's redemption for you. You're outside of God's blossoming oasis, simply living in a wasteland hopeless. I pray that you will hear God's promises today. You will choose to submit to the way of Jesus, the only way to true life. I'll ask again, are you a follower of Jesus? If that's true of you, then I ask you James' question, are you a hearer only? Or are you also a doer of the word? Are you living differently than the world as you take action on God's word? 
on his instruction in your life. Be quick to hear. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. This is how James identifies how a doer of God's word will live, what it will look like. Why does James single out anger here? Because it's so destructive. And I'm sure it's because there was evidence of it in the church that he was writing to. And Proverbs tells us, or Ecclesiastes tells us, there's nothing new under the sun. Anger is destructive. Look at verse 26. If James is continuing, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. If anyone thinks he's religious, then their religion is worthless if they don't bridle their tongue. Bridle is a really fun Greek word. Chalinagago. It's just a fun word. Literally means to hold in check, to restrain. If you don't restrain your tongue, bridle your tongue, James connects that to anger, to speaking quickly. To be a follower of Jesus and a doer of God's word, one must bridle their tongue, be slow to speak. Slow to anger. Now, have you ever witnessed an adult's verbal tirade of anger against another adult? I know you all have. How about an adult's verbal tirade of anger against a small child? You know it's demoralizing, demeaning, deflating, life-killing. It's literally death to a soul. Anger is destructive. Angry outbursts can transform its victim from a vibrant oasis into a desert wasteland. And you see that with children who are joyful, thinking they're doing the right thing until they are unloaded upon and they become a wasteland. Anger is so destructive that James says an unbridled tongue destroys faith. James writes, it declares a person's religion to be worthless. And religion here in the Greek isn't just a generic term for spirituality. James uses it with a sense of fearing and worshiping God. It carries a sense of humility before the Lord, embodying religious discipline and action. If one does not bridle their tongue, their faith, their witness, their testimony before the world will be empty, worthless, Useless. James challenges the church, all those who have faith in Jesus Christ, to be doers of the word, not just hearers. To live their faith in the world, to live out God's living word, his instruction for you and me to take action. How does he say to do it? To be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to 
That's your homework. Now, I've only held you to three words. Now we're going to say the whole thing together. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. If you're one who is marked by a quick fuse or a short temper, I encourage you to seek help and accountability. There's no shame in confession, but there's darkness in denial and secrecy. Talk to another brother and sister, brother or sister in Christ. Confess to one another. Come and talk with me. Bring the darkness. When you've blown up in anger at someone else, there's always a sense of shame attached to that, especially when you see the devastation. Bring that darkness into light. Allow others to pray with you or to walk with you as you seek to bridle your tongue. If you've wounded others with your anger, the best way to seek reconciliation is to practice James' challenge, which is be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Be quick to hear. Meet with the other person that you've wronged. Confess your anger and then zip it. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. Let them talk. Let them process. Let them vent. Let them rail against you for how you wounded them. Be quick to hear and slow to speak. Don't defend yourself. Don't explain yourself. Be slow to speak and be even slower to become angry again. The enemy will seek to stir up your anger again and cause that crazy cycle to continue. Be quick to hear as you confess. Slow to speak, slow to anger, and be patient. It may take the victim of your anger time to heal, time to regain their trust in you, time to let go. I encourage you, be patient and pray for those whom you may have injured. Give them the time they need to entrust. Give them the time that they need and entrust them into God's hands. And in time, God can and he will transform the wasteland of an angry outburst back into a vibrant oasis of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And it's so reassuring to remember Isaiah's words of prophecy regarding God's way. God's way is for his people. And no one walking on that way by faith, no traveler, not even fools, shall go astray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.